listening to Venture Church Podcast. For more information, visit www.jointheventure.com. So this past week, um, I experienced some insane culture shock. Um, I've, I volunteered at this middle school week at camp where there's 4th, uh, 5th, and 6th graders. And if you have a 4th, 5th, or 6th grader, I am sorry. Um, these kids were insane. They were running off walls, bouncing everywhere. It's like, stop running. Stop running. You're in the pool. You could fall. Uh, it's okay. The food is going to be there when you get there. So stop running. Um, but this one time at lunch, I... Uh, I was, uh, came and sat down at this table, and there's this girl. Um, we'll just call her Susie for the sake of preserving her name. Uh, so we'll call her Susie. Susie had her head down on the table like this, and she seemed really sad. So I just came over and said, what's wrong? And with this, like, deep southern accent, she said, I shouldn't have gotten them hooked up. It's like, gotten who hooked up? She said, her and Duck Dynasty boy over here. It's like... Oh, so I guess middle school kids do that these days. Um, so she used her friend to hook these two girls up. Guys, guy and girl. I said that wrong. Here we go. So then, um, then I said, well, why didn't you want them to get hooked up? She said, because he's ugly. It's like, all right. So before I could even respond, this girl sitting next to me was like, if you don't have anything nice to say, then don't say it at all. It's like, that's excellent. Like, that was better than I could have said it. And then she was like, well, it's not bad if it's the truth. It's like, dang, she is just dogging this guy, and she doesn't, he doesn't even know it. Um, but at this whole week at camp, man, I had so many stories like this of just either at the lunch table or wherever where kids would just say the darnest things. And literally, like, just like the show back in the day, I don't know if any you probably remember it. I don't know. I'm, I'm a youngin', so that was back like when I was really young, so I don't know. I'm like aging myself right now. I'm 21 years old, so you're like, wow, this guy is crazy. He just needs to get off the stage right now. Um, so they said the darnest things for real. They really did. But on just in general, as, as Americans, even if you're not even in fifth, sixth, or seventh grade, as in general, Americans love, love to talk. Did you know that on average, Americans have 30 conversations a day and will spend one-fifth of their life talking? That's pretty crazy. One-fifth of your whole life is spent talking. In one year, your words, just one year, would fill 66 books, each 800 pages in length. Now, I'm not a huge reader, but I've read Harry Potter, and that's like reading Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire at least 66 times, and that's just a little bit intense. My brain could not handle that. (laughs) Uh, Men, on average, speak 20,000 words a day, where women speak 30,000 words a day. Now there's your math right there. So men, we got to step up our game. 30,000 words, that's our mark. Now we can talk more. (laughs) But people love to talk on TV. We have talk shows. On the radio, we have talk radio. In sports, experts gather around this televised round table and we talk about how if somebody would have scored two more foul shots, they would have won the game. And then I think, man, that's really profound. If they would have scored more points, They would have won the game. I'm so glad I heard that. That's great. That's so great. (laughs) But the problem is not that we're talking too much. It's what we're saying while we're talking that matters. I think about the the dreamers. You know, you think of, of Thomas Jefferson and the Congress of 1776 and the Declaration of Independence. Those words had the power to to build nations. I think of Martin Luther King Jr. and his I Have a Dream speech. And how our culture will never forget that one speech that just shifted the tides of, of independence of humanity. And then I think of, of just the phrase, I came in like a wrecking ball. I mean, 
gosh, it's so profound. Miley Cyrus just, just nailed it right on the head. If you didn't get that, that's sarcasm. I'm totally kidding. Miley Cyrus, okay, whatever. <laughs> but the point is, the point is we can all agree that words have power, whether it is coming in like a wrecking ball or I have a dream that one day and you just, you just speak words have power. I mean, can, can we all agree on that? I mean, words, words have power. When I think of power, I think of kings. I think of kings who sit on a throne and how their words, their decisions have power to rule nations, to, to command tribes, to command armies. And with, in the uh, great words of Ben from uh, Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. And the question is, how do we use this powerful thing the responsible way? Um, here at Venture, we like to look to the Bible for life's most important and toughest questions. And if you have a Bible this morning, we're going to be in James chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one um, under seat, every third seat. If you don't have one, uh, we want to give, give one to you this morning, either in the back or if you uh, find one under your seat, that's yours to keep. Or maybe, uh, maybe your uh, Bible, if you do have one, it's kind of hard to read. kind of sounds like Shakespearean English with these and thous and stuff. This one is a little bit easier to read with a more, more modern language. Um, so let's, uh, let's go ahead and uh, open up to James chapter 3. Uh, we're in a series right now called Wise Words from a Former Skeptic. Um, this is about a guy named James who wrote this letter. And he wrote this letter to, to uh, 12, 12 tribes um, scattered, scattered, um, scattered out. And he wanted to write a word of encouragement, a word um, to remind them of, of the God that we serve. And... Um, um, in in this this whole letter, it's it's good to know the context. James was was the half brother of Jesus. Jesus being um, being the uh, the Son of God and uh, coming down and three days later resurrecting from the grave. He was the half brother of Jesus. So growing up, hearing your brother talk about how he's the Son of God and one day he's going to die and raise from the grave so he could defeat death, so we could have eternal life with God, I would probably think my brother's a little crazy too. I have a sister. If she came to me and said that, I'd be like, okay. Stop doing drugs. Give, give me whatever you're talking about. Like, okay, let's, let's talk this over. Let's get counseling or something. She's never done that. But still, if she did, I would be like, you are crazy. I'm a skeptic. There's no way you're, you're the daughter of God. There's, oh, well, she is. But anyways, so, um, so um, being, coming from that and then when, when Jesus actually did do what he said he would do, you, your mind kind of shifts a little bit. And so James actually becomes a leader um, of, the, of the first church, and he writes this letter from that perspective. I, I once was a skeptic. I totally did not believe in my brother and how he was the son of God, but now I believe, and I'm writing you this letter to encourage you guys. So we're in James chapter 3, verse 1. If you wouldn't mind, turn, and read, uh, turn into that. The words will also be on the screen. Um, so the first part just goes like this. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. And James opens this up with, uh, with like a warning sign or like a, a yellow light or radioactive. Like, watch your step. Look both ways. Um, when, when, you're, when you're teaching the word of God, be careful because with power comes great responsibility and you will be judged when you're preaching about the word of God. And um, this morning... Man, I, uh, it's, it's the craziest thing. Um, getting on stage with the guitar, you feel very comfortable behind the guitar. And when the guitar comes off, the nerves come. And uh, you start to feel the weight of, of the, the attention and stuff. And um, the truth is, is because when, when, you, talk about, when you talk about God, there's, um, people look at that. And, and I'm, I've 
when you talk about God, you're, you're leading people with your words and you're preaching truth. And so what James is saying is, is uh, just, just be careful of that. But I like what he says right after when he says we all stumble in many ways. Like, it's okay, lighten up a little bit. Like, um, the truth is, is that we've all fallen short. So when, when there's times where, where we do lead and we do feel judged sometimes, we all stumble in many ways. And so realize that you're preaching God's words and not your own words. So the weight comes off a little bit. And, but why would, Je- why would James put a warning sign right at the beginning? Say, be weary. Well, first is because our tongue directs where we go. Let's continue reading. In James chapter 3, verse 3, it says, When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Um, I was uh, driving back from camp um, this past week down I-40. I take I-40 to to Greenville and whatnot. Um, And it was a really crazy thing. I like, I'm like a, I used to be a psychology major, but then I am no major right now. Um, So um, I love, I love psychology and I love the way the mind works, like things just intrigue me, like people's personality habits or the way people make decisions or respond to stress. I love that. So I, I'm, I'm a deep thinker. And um, while I was driving down I-40, it was really cool noticing that when you're driving 79 or 80 miles an hour, all you need is a slightest bit to turn the steering wheel to actually change lanes. And that's what James is saying here is that in perspective, the steering wheel compared to the rest of the car it's a small piece. I mean, you think about the engine, you think of the drivetrain, the wheels, the whole body of the car. The steering wheel is a very small bit of the car, but that small rudder, the small steering wheel, just makes drastic changes. Um, and I know not many of us ride horses or drive huge ships, but, but driving down I-40, you, you know the difference with, like, maybe you're going five miles an hour, you need to turn a lot more, but when you're going 79 or 80, it's just the slightest bit that can change your course and what James is underlying is, is that words have power, but they don't just have power. They have the power to direct. And so with the power to direct, we have the power to lead people towards water. We have the power to lead people towards a desert. Um, let's continue on with, uh, with, uh, with verse 5. He continues to say, um, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body in, in reference to, to the whole thing like we were saying before, the steering wheel is a small compared to the whole car. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of eagle, evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it's set on fire by hell. Um, when I was growing up, I, uh, I um, made uh, a friend named Jay, and Jay um, was still one of my really good uh, friends to this day, and after church every Sunday, I grew up in church pretty much my whole life, and after church, I'd go run and ask my mom, Mom, can I go to Jay's house and ride four-wheelers? She'd be like, yes, I guess so, pretty much every single Sunday, so we did that, and um, I, I Looking at me, you probably don't see much of a redneck, but back in the day, I was, I was pretty close to it. I loved hunting. I loved mudding. I loved building fires, being outside, shooting things with whatever gun I could get my hands on. Um, well, not things, like things as in like the ground and objects, not people and things that would get me in trouble. <laughs> but, uh, 
there's, there's a lot of times, um, there's this kind of annual thing that his family did, and they would get all the, the brush. They, they, had, they owned several acres of land, and they, um, a lot of brush just, um, uh, just piled up over the, over the year. So they put it all together, and during Christmas, they would light the whole pile on fire. And me and Jay loved starting fires all the time. Like, we would just make hot chocolate from a campfire just because we could, and it was fun. Um, but this one time during Christmas, um, I don't know if y'all have ever burned a Christmas tree before, dried up, but if you let it sit just in the sun and let it dry out all the moisture, like it's crazy how quick a Christmas tree burns. In like 15 seconds, it's like, and then it stops. But we put it at the very uh, beginning of this huge pile. So it was an annual thing we did. And like his family would, would just have a bunch of people over from the church and friends and family, and, and they just burned a pyre, uh, the fire, and it would burn for probably like a day and a half. It was huge. But it was really cool just lighting the tip of the Christmas tree and how quick it just took over the whole pile. And eventually, the whole pile just caught on fire. And it reminds me of a story back in 1983, a little fire started in Australia and it ended up burning 600 miles of land. Just one small fire burned up 600 miles. Like, that's bigger than... The city, I think. Yeah, yeah, duh. it is. It totally is. Yeah. I'm like, wait, 600 miles. Yeah, 600 miles. Think about that. In the same way, our tongue is like a fire and it can do serious damage. Some of you guys may have been burned by, by people's words, either growing up or maybe, maybe even now it's a family member or a friend or maybe even somebody you just, you just met and a person said words like, you're stupid or you're a loser or why can't you be more like your brother? Or you're not going anywhere in life. Or you're, you're not good enough. And eventually we start to echo those words. And we start thinking, I'm not. I can't. I'll never. I'm not good enough. We need to be careful about our words that we say, but also the words that we ingest because our words shape people. That's what James is saying here. Even the smallest turn can start fires. And by the way, this is the, the reason why we need to read the Bible, because God has words as well. You know, we have words that we communicate with between each other, but God has words for us, and we need to allow ourselves to be shaped by God's words, because when that happens, your life changes. You know what, you want to know what God says about us? He says this in Galatians 4. This is Paul writing a letter. He says, so you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if you're a son then you're an heir through God. He says also in Ephesians, another le- uh, a letter to uh, the city of Ephesus, it says, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us, even though we were dead in transgressions, he made us alive with Christ. By grace you were saved. One last one, Ephesians 1.4, I love this. For he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Let's think about that. Before the world was even just in motion and moving and there. He chose us that we may be holy and unblemished in his sight and love. And so the, through the times that we feel unaccepted and we hear words like, you're stupid, you're alone, you're a loser, whatever those words are that are in your life, through times we can look at the word of God and think, I am chosen, I am an overcomer, I am loved. Do you see the difference when we allow the words of God to shape us and not the words 
of others to shape us. We have uh, these three things we say at Venture. We say um, we want to be God, trace, God chasers, we want to be grace-shaped, and we want to be love agents. And uh, this morning I just want to talk about what it means to be grace-shaped. There's a lot of things in life that shape us, whether it's uh, family history or work or just stress in general or whatever the case may be. We choose to allow grace to shape us, and grace is that, that no matter what we've done in the past, God says, I love you for who you are, and I'm going to continue to love you despite your baggage, despite your craziness, despite your insecurities and your brokenness, despite all that, I'm going to love you, and my grace is, is good enough, and we're allowing ourselves to be shaped by that grace because our tongues direct where we want to go and where we lead others. So our words have power and they have meaning behind them. And when we say um, things like, well, I didn't mean that. Well, you probably did. <laughs> I mean, because whatever comes out of the how, whatever comes out of the heart, um, whatever goes into the heart comes out of the heart. And um, back when I was growing up, um, back in high school, my freshman through junior year, I didn't have... Uh, the best high school experience, as some people would say. Um, I didn't, like most people, I didn't really enjoy high school, um, but I experienced a lot of people picking on me, and um, just for my physical appearance, being a a small-figured guy, straight-up skinny, I mean, like, a skin-and-bones type dude. Um, And, yeah, you can laugh, it's okay, you can laugh at me. (laughs) Um, But the first three years were, were pretty tough, because um, people didn't realize, maybe they did realize, I don't know, they, they might have needed some type of ego boost or something, but um, they didn't realize that the words pierced like daggers when, when people would say, man, you need to eat more, or man, let me, let's, let's get you some food and put some skin on them bones, or man, gosh, maybe you need to gain some weight, let's take you to the gym or something. It's like, if you flip it, it's like telling somebody who's struggling with being overweight, like, man, you need to lose some weight, or dang, you need to eat less. Or, you need to come to my house, I'll give you a salad. Like, that's how it felt, and people didn't realize that. And it, it led to a fire burning in my heart, because their tongues were like a fire, and it led to insecurities of me feeling like, like I wasn't good enough. And um, not just in my physical appearance, but when you get told you're small for three years, you start feeling pretty small inside. You start feeling belittled, and you start feeling um, insecure and I, it led to, to a fire of, of anger. I just wanted to lash out. I wanted to just respond with this hurtful comment back to them all the time. And I don't know if you guys have ever felt like that, where somebody just says something that hurts you, and you're just like, I want to just yell at you right now and say something. Or maybe you actually do say something, and you might regret it. But um, through that time, it unleashed a lot of anger that I didn't even know I had. And I, I started to hate all the people that picked on me. I just I didn't want to be around them. And... I mean, who would? And I let the words of my peers fill me up, and I let their words direct me and define my identity. My identity was then the skinny guy who gets picked on and pushed around because no teacher's looking and I won't fight back. I got known as, as that guy. And um, Luke, a uh, disciple of Jesus, um, quoted Jesus from this one passage. It's in Luke six forty-five. It says this. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our tongue reflects a heart problem. And when I started realizing in these people that it wasn't that maybe they thought I looked bad or 
Maybe it was, I don't know. But I think part of it was maybe they felt belittled and the only way to get that out was to lash it out on me. And I took that in thinking that it was, it was my fault, like um, it was my fault for being that way and the insecurities inside. And, um, but the truth is, is that our tongue reflects a heart problem because what's been going on into your heart has been the problem of someone else's heart. And they express that through their words because whatever is in the well comes out in the water. Whatever is in the tree comes out in the fruit. And whatever is in the heart comes out of the mouth. And I don't have this in, in the slides, but later on in James, the passage right after, if you have it in your Bibles, it says, um, uh, does salt water uh, pour out from a fresh water? Or does salt water pour from fresh water? And the answer is no. Does an orange tree produce apples? No, it doesn't. Because what's in your heart comes out. And some of you guys may have some burn marks or maybe even just sitting in the fire right now. Your heart is hard and heavy from the words of others, and it's, it may be eating you up inside like a burning fire. Or maybe you're on the other end, and maybe you're not the one on the receiving end, but the one with a heavy heart, and you're lashing out, and you're wanting to respond with anger with your own words. Like the, answer, the question is before, how do we use this powerful thing the right way? Because the right way is not responding in anger. The right way is not starting fires. The right way is not to respond with hate. So how do we heal from the burns and the burning? How do we heal from the words that, that dig deep inside? The answer is by getting a new heart. If the overflow of our heart is where our, our mouth speaks, then the answer is we've got to go to the root of where the problem is. Back in, um, I did an a internship at this uh, church in Charlotte before I moved here for about two months. Um, it was actually before I even New Venture existed. I was at this church, um, and uh, I, I through through uh, graduating high school and a little bit of college, I still had a little bit of the insecurities. I've I'm a long way off from where I was before, um, but um, they paid for me to go to a counselor. They they take all their interns to to go to a counselor just to to talk through um, just life in general. And I've never, ever been to a counselor in my life. Um, but I really, even if you think you're sane, like counselors are not for insane people. They're just for people who need to talk. And they're professional, just wisdom people. I mean, they just, they give you nuggets and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to remember that for the rest of my life because I'm about to say one right now that hopefully helps you guys. But um, there was this, uh, uh, this thing he told me, I when I was 12 years old, my father passed away from cancer, and I never really dealt with that in the right way. And there's a lot of things in my life through being picked on and all those things that just just were ingested deep down in, in my heart. And, and he was a professional at getting them out and revealing them and bringing them to the service. And um, he just kind of explained his, his way of doing that. He was basically saying um, the phrase is, is following the rabbit down the hole. Because um, if you ask people, um, like I ask, I ask my mom all the time, she comes to the door, I say, how are you doing? She says, I'm doing good. Like, nope. Try that again. How are you doing? I mean, it's, it's all right. No, really, mom. Like, how are you doing? And then it comes out. Man, my day has been just a whirlwind. And you start unleashing and just really, really revealing what's going on. So what, what uh, this guy did, I won't say his name, but what this guy did is he follow the rabbit down the hole. And he would, he would ask simple questions like that. And he would just 
can continue to follow the rabbit down the hole and follow it deep to where the insecurity truly lied. And where the insecurity lied was that um, the, the reason that I was insecure was A, not because I was skinny, B, not because people picked on me, but it was C, because I felt like I was a failure. You know, like when it really, really came down to it, if I wasn't good enough, then that meant like what I could do wouldn't be good enough. So then that meant that I would fail and with my words, I wouldn't be able to to help people or whatever. And it led to things that I didn't even know existed. And he brought that out of me. And um, so the truth is, when the words burn deep inside, the truth is, is to get a new heart. Go follow the rabbit down the hole and see where your heart truly lies. Another quick story. My, uh, me and my, uh, my grandpa went fishing yesterday. It was, it was a wonderful experience being out on the pier. Um, he's actually here, here today, this morning. I'm, I'm very excited that he's here. And um, we were sitting on the pier fishing, and my family went and, and walked down a little bit. And um, he said something that I, uh, I haven't really thought about, but he just said, as, as you're growing in life, we, we watched a movie called Ocean's Eleven um, the night before. I don't know if you've ever seen it. In my eyes, I thought, this is a decent movie. It was good. Um, and uh, he just, he told me, is, is very humbly, was not throwing it on me. He just said, um, when, as you're growing and as you become a minister and you're leading people, you need to watch what you, what you watch you know, on TV, on movies. And uh, for the longest time, I just kept my habits of high school, just watch whatever and like, oh, I'm fine, you know, like, cuss words, fine, whatever scenes. I mean, I don't even have to describe them. You know, movies are just plummeting these days. And um, it really, really hit hard that what's been going into my heart has been F-bombs and all these cuss words and scenes from movies. And that's been going into my heart. And eventually, it's going to come out. And from just just him just, just saying that one little thing, like, just as you're growing up, just just watch it. Just be careful. And so the truth is, as we're burned, we need a new heart. The Bible says in Ezekiel 18.31, it says, Rid yourself of all the offenses you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. The answer is to get a new heart. And that happens when we truly, truly hand our lives over to God. We say, all right, God, I'm, I'm going to take a dive off this diving board. It's a scary thing. Like I said before, I, I grew up in the church my whole life, and um, my dad was um, an, an elder at, at the church, basically just a person of, of uh, leadership and authority throughout the church, not like on staff, but, um, and, and my family, I just grew up in church my whole life, and so people got baptized a lot, and I, growing up, I didn't really know what it was. I wanted to do it kind of because everybody else is doing it, you know, like, sweet, people get dunked, and then they get to drink juice and eat bread, so cool. I'd like some juice and bread during the sermon. Cool. Let's do that. Um, so I, I didn't really know exactly, exactly what it was. And until, um, Chris, uh, Woolard actually was, uh, was my, uh, youth minister. Fun fact. Um, when I was growing up, he was, was my youth minister when I was in high school. And, um, but, uh, through his, through his teaching, I learned about what it truly means to give your life to God. And I went through the process of, of, being baptized and baptism is is basically a public declaration of 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 saying God I'm I'm giving you my life I'm going to be dunked underwater and when I come up 
I'm a new creation. And, and the Bible actually speaks about that, how when you get baptized, you are a new creation, alive in Christ. And, um, and I did that, but I didn't really, like, you know, feel the change. I was like, man, I just want to feel something again. And um, the truth is, is that um, by, by getting a new heart and, and hearing the truth of what it really means to get a new heart, it reminds me of a story of, of my, my friend Chris Campbell. Um, when I first met Chris, he had really, really long, curly, blonde hair. I was like, man, this dude is awesome. I want to go see him, get his name. So uh, he came and actually approached me. This is back in December. And um, uh, Long story short, basically, we just um, exchanged phone numbers like, hey, like to hang out. We kind of like the same interests. We both love uh, just uh, skateboards and skating. And, um, and oh, Actually, I just learned surfing from him, him and Dylan. Um, but just became uh, long-term friends, and um, after meeting with him for about a month and a half to two months, he was just like, dude, I want to I try this baptism thing. I just want to see what it's about. And through just a little bit of counsel, we, we finally baptized Chris, and it was, it was a really, really beautiful moment to see a man before the water, and when he rises up, just like this smile on his face of just like joy and I would talk to him after, and he'd be like, dude, I don't, I can't explain it. I don't understand it. I don't know what happened. All I know is it, is it happened, and um, I have a new heart. It's like a heart transplant, like literally, like God takes your old heart. Like the, the passage before where it says um, in, in, uh, in Ephesians, um, Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, it says, Even though we were dead in transgressions, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. That's such a beautiful analogy. We once were dead. Sometimes people's words make us feel like we're not living. Sometimes it even brings us to points where we feel like it's not even worth living. But God brings joy, he brings peace, he brings goodness and love, and it changes your life. It changes your heart. He takes the dead heart and he makes it alive in him. And sometimes our response is, man, I can't explain it, but I know it's right because I feel it. Like I know when I rose up that... I got a new heart, and I think about things differently. My, my filter is differently. Like, I just want to, if somebody's having a bad day, I just want to encourage him. Or you start to think, look at things differently. Like, when there's, a, when there's a problem, you look at them like challenges. And I, just, I heard that today, just, just a, a guy talking to me, just saying, like, don't look at things in life as problems. Look at, look at them like challenges, because challenges you can overcome. Problems are bad. Challenges you can overcome. And in life, there's, there's challenges, and there's things that, we feel like we're weighing down, but when, when you get a new heart, you look at it and you say, you know what, that's just a challenge, man. I'll conquer that. You know, James, uh, Chris talked about earlier, a couple weeks ago, if you were here, James chapter 1, he said, um, James wrote in the letter, um, uh, as you endure trials of many, many kinds, it brings perseverance. And the truth is, is that the trials of, of my father passing away and the trials of uh, being picked on and the trials of, of going through all the, the turmoil of that has grown me into the person that I am today. And if I didn't go through that, then I can pretty much say I probably wouldn't be on the stage right now speaking to you guys. And I'm not saying let the words of those people shape you, but what I'm saying is is that the heart transplant is real. And that as, as we um, encounter things in life, God's words have power. Our words have power. And it's the new heart that gives us the ability to have a new mouth. 
and a new tongue, to stop saying some of the things we've always said and to start saying some things that we always should have said. We need to change from the inside out, not the outside in. We look at the surface level a lot like, well, I'll just cut this movie out. I won't watch this next time or I won't do this. But the truth is, is we, we need a heart transplant. We need to go from being dead to being alive. So I talked a little bit about baptism, and, and baptism is, is, is a way of, of doing that, to say, God, like, I want this new heart. I want a heart transplant. Take me to surgery and do it, not physically surgery, but, but to, to just go on the water and, and rise up and go from being dead to being alive and, and um, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's biblical. It says that um, the, Holy, the reason Jesus died um, is to, to bring the helper. It's referred to in the Bible as the helper, the God's, God with us, basically, God among us. That's, that's God's gift to us, and that's why we, that's why we uh, baptize. And um, I had the joy of being a part of uh, the YMCA triathlon yesterday morning. Um, we had a, a good amount of volunteers from Venture go out there, but there was, I think, a little under 200 kids there, and it was really, really, really cool to see uh, to see so many kids just want to do a triathlon. It wasn't a true, like, I think, how, how long is a triathlon? Like 23 miles? Something like that? Maybe, maybe not. Nods. They're like, okay, I'm not going to respond to you. Um, so I, they, they didn't do it like a true triathlon, but man, they were pushing and they were getting it. And we were, um, my group, it was me, Chris, and Emily. Chris, the guy that was just up here, and Emily, um, who's uh, in charge of the host team. We were standing on Market Street. And we set up cones and we blocked off one lane just to transition from one street to the other so they could continue. And our goal was pretty much, like the person that told us was like, make sure the kids don't ride into the road. It's like, okay, I can do that. I think one kid almost did it and my heart dropped. I was like, oh, okay, 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 we're good, we're good. Like I was, I was at least several hundred feet away. So like when it happened, I couldn't do anything, but man, it scared me. But when, um, when they, they went up, it was a hill. So um, it was Chris and then it was like a little hill. Um, then it was me, and then it was Emily. And um, as the bikers went, biking up a hill isn't isn't that hard, um, but but the running part you could just see them way. So they they swam first, then they biked, and then they ran. So as running, you could just tell that they were worn out. And um, it was one of the coolest things. Again, my my psychology mind again <laughs> um, speaking here. It was really cool seeing um, the kids run around the corner. And right when they ran around the corner, they're just running, and they would just, they would just stop and start walking. They're like, "I can't do this. I can't." They would either put their hands on their head or something. And as we're standing there, we're encouraging them. That's another one of our goals was to encourage them and be like, "You can do this." And it was the coolest thing to see Chris just start like clapping on, cheering on. You can do this. Start giving them a high five. You know what they started doing? They're walking, like, "Oh, okay, I can do this. I can do this." They start running, and then they get to the point in between me and Chris, and then they'd be like oh, man, this is crazy. I'm like, yeah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> but then then, uh, then, then it would be me. I would be kind of in the middle way, and I'd be like, come on, you can do this. I'd go give them a high five or do something, and they'd be like, okay, okay, I can do this. And they start running, they start running. The same thing would happen when it came in between me and, me and Emily. When there was nobody there, they would start walking. And then it became Emily, and then she would start encouraging me to start running, and they got around the corner, and we would scream, and we would cheer. And I think that's just just depicts sometimes when we feel like we're alone, we just want to walk, like I'm tired, I put my hands on my head, I can't get my breath, like what is going on? And then maybe a friend comes by, maybe their words aren't like a fire, but they're like 
like soothing water, or they're like, like a fresh drink, and you're just like, oh, thanks for the encouragement. I can do this. I can do this. I can go. And instead of the words being like a fire, they're filling you up, and that's God speaking to, through to them, through them to you. And what God is saying is, is that I'm by your side. You once were dead and you're alive. I'm, I made you do that. I've never left you. You may think that I've left you, but I've never left you. And I'm by your side and I'm running this triathlon until you stop. I'm running this triathlon until you stop because once you stop, I'm going to continue to encourage you and to make you persevere because it's worth the trial. It's worth the endurance. It's worth the pain because out of, after the pain comes growth and you experience that. And through the times where Maybe you feel like, maybe you feel like just super heavy and where nobody could accept you. Man, I hope that you came in this morning and you feel accepted. Maybe you're here this morning and uh, you, you feel alone. You feel like maybe you're, you're divorced, you have three kids and life's tough, finances are tough. And you go other places, I pray that when you come here you feel welcomed and you feel encouraged because as a church, we thrive with the catchphrase, being a church for people who don't like church. We're serious about it. Like, we're serious to reach the people who feel alone. We're serious to reach the people who feel broken, who feel ashamed. Because the truth is, is that we're all broken and we feel ashamed sometimes. Like James said before, we all stumble in many ways. We all fall short of the glory of God. But the truth is, is that God, the only one, not my words, God's words. I'm just sharing the words of God. He made us from what we once were dead, and he made us alive. And after that heart transplant, instead of hearing words like, you're stupid, you're alone, you're a failure, insert whatever, whatever thing lies deep inside from your family or whatever, you start hearing words after the heart transplant of, I'm chosen, I'm an overcomer, I'm loved. Let's pray this morning. God, I, uh, I praise you for, for making us alive. We sang a song this morning, perfectly placed. You've brought me back with the richness of your amazing grace and relentless God. You are relentless chasing after us. I'm made alive forever. By your life forever, by your grace, I am saved. And we scream and shout because by your grace... We are loved by your grace. We are made new. We are new creations. And God, I just pray right now for, for our church, for every church right now that is meeting. God, I pray that we understand that our words have power and that the power, uh, that we have power to direct people, but in that same way that people have power to direct us, but that we look to you for direction instead of looking to others for direction. And we allow your words, your grace, your truth to really direct us and know that we are chosen, we are overcomers, and we are loved. God, I pray all these things in your holy and precious name.